he was in front of me about 30 feet and he started yelling and waving his hand. He'd seen the guy cross. cross. <laughs> Hey, welcome to Bike Talk. Today we have a really great show on collisions, bike collisions, what happens when you get hit, what you should do. We're going to be talking to a bike lawyer, Ross Hirsch, as well as some people who were involved in bike collisions this July. James Hawks and Alan Miranda. Also, a call in from Ted Rogers, bike blogger. And we're going to have some news from uh, the California Bike Coalition's Jim Brown. And we also have an interview with Eric Bruins from uh, LACBC, who took over Alexis Lance's job as policy director. So, I would like to say hi to everybody in the studio. Hey, guys. Good morning. morning. How are you doing? Um, we're going to talk to you in a little bit. We are waiting for a call from Jim Brown. Right on time. Hello. Hi, Nicholas. This is Jim Brown. Yeah, how you doing? So we're here. We're, we're, uh, we're ready to go. You want to tell us your uh, rundown of the news? Sure. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Well, my name is Jim Brown. I'm the communications director for the California Bicycle Coalition in Sacramento. And I'm... Uh, really glad to be doing this. Um, there's there's a um, lot of interesting news about bicycling in California. Uh, the first piece is that next week the California legislature uh, reconvenes after its summer recess, and they're going to be taking up uh, discussion of four bills that relate directly to bicycling. Uh, the first is Senate Bill 1464, which is the uh, three-foot passing bill that's being authored by uh, Senator Alan Lowenthal of Long Beach. It's sponsored by the California Bicycle Coalition, and it would uh, require drivers to give bicyclists three feet of clearance, at least three feet of clearance, when they pass bicyclists from behind in the same lane. So that's a, um, that's a big improvement uh, over what we've currently got. The current law is pretty vague, and uh, this would establish a clearer standard for uh, sharing the road with bicyclists. Okay. It's also, um, it's, this is also the second time that we've tried this bill. Last year, Senate Bill 910 was uh, vetoed by the governor. We've fixed the uh, problems in that bill that the governor pointed out, and we have support from, from uh, everybody we need to support from, including some of last year's opponents. So... Uh, we're in a good position on that bill. Sounds good. The, what uh, else you got? We have two bills uh, that are being uh, discussed right now that have to do with the environmental review process as it relates to bicycling. Um, CBC is sponsoring Senate Bill 1380, which would uh, slightly uh, relax the environmental review requirements for uh certain elements of bicycle plans that communities uh, would implement. So, for example, striping a lane to create a, a bike lane, putting in signage, those kinds of features currently have to undergo a, an environmental review process that can often turn a, you know, a $50,000 project into a $500,000 project. So it's, um, uh, this is a this is a, a, a very useful uh, modification to California's environmental review laws to allow for more bicycle facilities. Um, and there's a companion bill, um, Assembly Bill 2245, sponsored by uh, Cameron Smythe of Santa Clarita, that would uh, create a, an exemption from the environmental review laws for uh, bike lanes on existing streets. And again, this is meant to streamline the implementation of bike facilities. And what's significant about this is that the environmental review laws have been uh, strongly defended, and rightly so, by environmental advocates. And for the first time, they are uh, acknowledging that, that modifying the environmental review law to allow for um, expedited bike facilities is a good thing. So mm -hmm. these are two promising bills. Um, the last bill is, is Assembly Bill 819, 
which would create a, a process within Caltrans for uh, expediting the implementation of what are uh, considered innovative bike facilities in California, although they're common in Europe and parts of other parts of the U.S., and these are things like bike boxes and cycle tracks. California doesn't have any design standards um, on its books for, uh, for allowing these kinds of facilities, and this is a uh, first step towards um, allowing communities to put these facilities in um, there'd be a research component to it that would um, enable the state to modify its standards for these kinds of facilities going forward. Mm-hmm. And those are all being taken up. You know, the bills have been in progress, and they'll be the debate will resume next week. The, uh, okay. the other big news, and this is Southern California-focused, is that on September 10th through the 13th in Long Beach, um, the Pro Walk, Pro Bike Conference will be held. That's an international conference thousand people from around the country will be coming to uh, learn and share um, on a number of topics. They have um, uh, class uh, uh, sequences having to do with the economic benefits of bicycling, meeting the needs of underserved communities and populations, design and engineering, health and quality of life, safe routes to school. Um, a bunch of really good offerings, and uh, visitors will have a chance to see all the great stuff that Long Beach has been able to implement uh, around bike facilities. Um, wow. And the uh, the last piece of it that's, that, that I'm particularly excited about is that on Thursday, uh, September 13th, after the um, conclusion of Pro Walk, Pro Bike, there will be the first-ever National Women's Bicycling Summit. Hmm. And this is an effort to focus the attention on the, uh, the good works and needs on behalf of um, women bicyclists. Um, the uh, speakers include uh, Leah Misbach-Day, who's the founder of World Bicycle uh, Relief, um, Ellie Blue, who's a bike blogger on Grist and a number of other places, um, LA's own Allison Manos, who is the founder of Multicultural Communities for Mobility. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a terrific conference at $35, um, and folks can read more about it at the League of American Bicyclists website at bikeleague.org. Well, thank you so much, Jim Brown. That was a great uh, uh, news headline uh, segment for us, and I hope that you'll call again. Yep, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much, Nicholas. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Sir. Bye. So in keeping with our new format, we're going to have a little promo. This one is from the Wisconsin Bike Federation. Hello, I'm Kevin Hardman with the Wisconsin Bike Fed. Wisconsin is one of the country's best states to be on a bicycle. We have one of the greatest trail networks. We have many bicycle-friendly small towns and large cities. Thanks to our dairy industry, we have the country's best rural roads. And of course, we have a beautiful state to enjoy while on a bike. Before heading out on your bike or getting behind the wheel, please remember these important rules of the road. In Wisconsin, the laws are the same for people who bike and people who drive. Ride with the traffic and obey stop signs and lights. When you're behind the wheel, always watch for people walking and biking. It's Wisconsin law to give bikes at least three feet when passing. Be alert when driving. Never text, email, or become impatient. Remember, we're all responsible. So get out on your bike. It's fun, it's safe, it's healthy, and it's Wisconsin. Visit wisconsinbikefed.org for more inspiration. So, Mark, we got an interview that you did. Do you want to intro this? Thanks, Nick. I did an interview with, um, with the LACBC's new policy director, Eric Bruins, and he caught us up a little bit about what's happening with LACBC, about the local chapters, of which my organization, Better Bike, is one. So let's go to the interview. This is Mark Elliott with Better Bike Beverly Hills on Bike Talk, talking with Eric Bruins, policy director at the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition. Hello, Eric. Tell us a little bit about uh, your new position at the County Bicycle Coalition. 
Yes, um, so I am the new planning and policy director here at LACBC um, in our downtown offices. I am filling in the very capable shoes of Alexis Lance, who left us to go work for the Department of Public Health. So we are very sorry to see her go, but excited to see what she does on the other side of the government nonprofit world. And so I'm trying to, I guess, fill in for a lot of the uh, initiatives that she started and start a, a couple new ones here. So we're um, very excited to get started in that way. Prior to this, I was a planner in for the Mountains Recreation and Conservation Authority, which is a local parks agency around uh, Los Angeles and Ventura County. So I come from the planning world, I'm specifically focused on open space, recreation, and biological resources. Um, so some of those things lend themselves very appropriately to bike planning. Um, specifically, we were working on um, things like river parkways along the LA River and Bayona Creek, um, Bacoima Wash, and a bunch of the other trails that you kind of see around LA area. So um, I guess I've been working on this stuff professionally for quite some time, um, but it's always fun to go where my heart truly is, which is in bikes. In bikes and bike advocacy. Right. And tell us a little bit about the, the Malibu uh, Pacific Coast Highway victory. Yeah, um, let's see. So about almost two years ago, um, there was a little bit of a flare-up in Malibu, which uh, some people listening to this may remember. There was a public safety commissioner that, commissioner that made some comments um, relating to b- bikes basically being responsible for their own injuries on Pacific Coast Highway. Um, so we came back with a... Um, informative uh, and dialogue, and we really opened up the dialogue there. Um, and we had the Saturday summit um, where we brought in kind of the facts and the, and the collision rates and the data as far as what was going on on the highway, what the safety issues were, and we really um, were able to kind of break through that that motorist cyclist divide that you sometimes see develop in, in these planning issues. Um, and the outcome of that is just uh, last week or the week before the. Safety Commission and Public Works Commission voted to recommend that bike lanes get installed on a piece of PCH out in the west end from Bush Drive to Trancus, and then there'd be a couple other um, bike route improvements farther west from Trancus to the city line. And these aren't just, you know, standard bike lanes. Uh, They're going to be buffered bike lanes, which are six feet wide of bike lane and plus an additional two-foot painted buffer between the bike lane and the travel lane. Um, which is really important when we look at these kind of high-speed roads like PCH out on the West End. So we're really excited to see um, something that is, you know, a real outgrowth of good dialogue and good um, communication uh, really turn into a physical project on the ground. This is a real victory. Yes, it is. I guess uh, pivoting off that, tell us a little bit about uh, what you see as um, the important policy initiatives for LACBC in the coming um, year. Yeah, there's um, a lot going on. Um, we have many things. With, basically, one, one of the things is being a countywide organization. We kind of have a, we are we try to track everything that's going on relating to bicycle planning, bicycle infrastructure, education programs, kind of the the, the whole nine yards throughout the county. And so it's a, it's a lot to take on. Um, one of the things that we're really excited about, and this started under Alexis's tenure, which is the regional partnership, where just like you're from Be- uh, Better Bike Beverly Hills, as one of the local chapters of LACBC, we have, by my last count, we have 10 local chapters around the county, which allows us to extend our reach into areas that we simply wouldn't have the resources to cover otherwise. So we have bike plans simultaneously going on in Alhambra and Pomona and Carson and Southgate. And then obviously, you know, we have to stay on top of the of the city of Los Angeles on implementing their 2010 bike plan. The L.A. County bike plan was passed earlier this year, and so they're just starting to implement. So there's a lot of planning going on um, all over the county and at a lot of different stages, and we kind of have to be able to follow all of it and really kind of make the push for the most progressive infrastructure, um, the best programs, the most attention to um, database solutions to the kinds of problems that our cyclists face on the road. And I guess with 10 local uh, chapters, you know, you've kind of got at least one pair of boots on the ground here in Beverly Hills, and you've got um, in, in those nine other uh, cities or regions, you've, you've also got boots on the ground, people who can go to the city council meetings, go to the commission meetings, and uh, hopefully allow you, like you say, to uh, allow the LACBC to extend their reach. So that's, I, I think that's a, a great achievement. 
How do, how do you see that relationship between regionals and LACBC for anyone out there who's interested in ramping up? You know, our job here um, at headquarters in downtown is to basically grow the organization, grow membership, um, and I think the regional partnership is really probably in some ways the future of the organization in that I think most of our membership growth probably happened through that. Um, what we're really focusing on is building the capacity of local chapters because I mean, there is simply no way that we can do it alone, and there's really no reason that we should be. And so I think that we can envision the regional partnership um, with each of the local chapters really forming a, um, just a, a focused way that we can, can uh, allow people to really work on their own community issues. Because, you know, one of the things is that biking is really is fundamentally a local issue, particularly when you start talking about biking for transportation, you know, on a weekend, I might go ride, you know, halfway across the county, but most people don't, and most people probably will never. And the reality is that most, well, most the biking, the role that biking can play in people's lives is, you know, trips that are probably one, two, maybe five miles to work, to run errands, and that kind of stuff really happens. All of that decision making and the infrastructure and the programs and the education, all of that stuff happens at the, the local level and so if we can really empower people to ask for change on the ground I think that that's gonna um, that's gonna play a role in, in transforming the whole region so I think any challenge facing a would-be local advocate uh, there's at least a couple but right off the top of my head one is getting to know uh, your local government how the pieces fit together how the commissions and the city council works together where planning fits in um, my city is uh, about 35,000 people, so planning is tucked into community development. Transportation is tucked into public works. It's a very different story in the city of LA, and often local advocates can, can, can you know, get the best read on that. And then the other thing is I've noticed is just trying to, you know, apprise our officials of the role of utility cyclists might might be the predominant uh, um, growth potential. I think is just people converting those five-minute car trips to bikes. Uh, among our officials, I've noticed there's not really there's not really an understanding of cycling as a form of transportation, like motoring, or that cycling offers all that upside for local utility trips. It's still viewed pretty much as a recreational, as a recreational endeavor. And any bike-related improvements are looked at as kind of you know discretionary expenditures, like uh, you know creating a an off-street bike path for recreation. And one challenge at the local advocate, I think, is to get our officials to recognize that, that we have to provide for cyclists just as we provide for motorists. That's a real challenge locally. Absolutely. Um, I think that that's, I mean, that's why we have to have such a focus on on-street infrastructure, um, such as bike lanes, such as sharrows, such as um, neighborhood uh, greenway-type bike-friendly streets. Um, every bike plan seems to call them something slightly different because that's really what's going to allow us to empower people to basically get to, to try it out um, and be comfortable on the streets. I think we can talk about what's going on in the city of Los Angeles right now. They are doing environmental review on 40 miles of bike lanes um, that really are going to take what's on the ground now and stitch it together into a network like we've never had before. It includes things like extending the existing Venice Boulevard bike lanes to downtown, where they'll connect with the um, buffered bike lanes on Spring Street and Main Street. We're talking about extending the 7th Street into the heart of downtown, so we'll get another connection there. I think there's a role for innovative facilities. I think that the buffered bike lanes have been shown, our bike counts revealed, at least on Spring Street, that... Um, the percentage of uh, cyclists that are women is are significantly higher. You know, women are able to, women are really start to use a facility when they feel safe because there's a lower risk tolerance there. That's how we kind of can judge whether a facility is achieving its objective is when we look outside at who's using it, whether we see, I guess, more um, women, whether we see uh, kids, whether we see more elderly people, whether we see people that aren't really willing to kind of get it out and mix up with the cars a little bit, that's when we know we're succeeding. And I think that w what we've seen is buffered bike lanes. Um, we haven't, you know, we haven't seen, well, down in Long Beach, there's the cycle tracks on 3rd and Broadway. 
you know, that's another good example that's basically a, a separated bike path but on the street. When we see our river paths, there's a more, there's a broader range of cyclists that are willing to use those facilities. And so it really speaks to the role that good design can play in attracting people to our streets. I, I, I agree totally. And one, one of the active chapters is the West San Gabriel Bicycle Coalition. And um, we had Montebello on a bike talk uh, just uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I'm wondering if anything comes to mind out there in the great San Gabriel Valley. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of the San Gabriel Valley is the San Gabriel River Trail, which is the only one of our river trails that actually extends from the mountains to the ocean. Uh, so that's such a huge asset as far as a regional spine. Um, obviously, it doesn't serve as much of a transportation function as we'd like because it is kind of on a um, river channel and doesn't pass through everybody's downtown or, or job centers or everything. Um, but I think it really offers a, uh, it kind of can serve as a, as a highway for bikes, and if we can enhance connections to it. You know, there's um, one of the, actually the things that comes to mind that I'm really excited about is Little City, it's Temple City. Um, they're going to take Rosemead Boulevard and install a cycle track on it from city boundary to city boundary. I think it's about one mile. And so one of the great things about San Gabriel Valley is because you do have so many smaller cities, there's a, a flexibility where they can really innovate and kind of say, you know what, we want to do something and let's just go get it done. You know, you don't, it doesn't have to sit in, in a bureaucracy for three to four or five years or even longer. Um, so I'm really excited to see when that will come to fruition. On the health front, uh, Alexis Lance, uh, the, the, the former policy director, she's moved over to Department of Health Services at the county level. And do we see any opportunities, or do you see any opportunities looking ahead, working with um, Department of Health Services on uh, bike infrastructure? Yeah, um, public health has really shown that they are interested in uh, infrastructure because they see it as the key. They, they think that a lot of, and all the research is showing that our built environment is one of the biggest factors for um, health outcomes. So when we create road systems that don't let people feel comfortable walking, walking and biking, surprisingly enough, they don't walk and bike, and when they don't walk and bike, they're not hitting their 30 minutes of daily activity or more. Um, and so we've basically engineered physical activity out of our lives, and so public health is realizing that a lot of the health crisis that we're in with obesity with and all of the diseases that are, that are um, caused by that, um, that infrastructure change has to, has to play a role. And so they've been really focusing their efforts both on planning and actually creating physical demonstration projects that increase physical activity in um, target areas with high rates of obesity in low-income areas and high-minority areas. The real importance is, is on the health front, getting people more active, but that's also an enormous effort. The way we see it is we want to make the streets attractive. I think what we've shown in events like Ciclovia have shown is that if you if you open the streets and you make it welcoming, people want to want to use it. They want to walk and bike. Everywhere I go, I hear people saying, "I want to walk and bike, but I'm scared of traffic." And I think that we need to make our streets welcoming to people that are outside of a motor vehicle. Um, I think that 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 kind of attitude is starting to finally take hold in planning departments and departments of transportation as we have this generational shift happening. Uh, any thoughts on Ciclovia or other initiatives that are that are on the docket? Yeah, Ciclovia is really such a great example of um, demonstrating how broad the audience is for walking and biking, demonstrating that it is more than just the, the people that we do see, the hardcore people out on the streets every day, um, and that there's really an, an appetite for it. I think what's really exciting about the new route at Ciclovia is the way it extends down Figueroa, because... Um, there's an up upcoming project on Figueroa called My Fig, and that includes a dedicated cycle track. And so what we've seen with Ciclovia is that the route predates infrastructure, and then <laughs> we go and we get to celebrate it. So you can see on 7th Street, um, when Ciclovia first started, there were no bike lanes on 7th Street. And then now there are bike lanes on 7th Street. You know, there's Sharrows on 4th Street. There's Sharrows on New Hampshire. There's um, bike lanes up and down Spring and Maine downtown. There's uh, bike lanes extending out into Boyle Heights, and so we've we've kind of seen the bike infrastructure follow Ciclovia, and so now it's all too fitting that the Ciclovia is going down Figueroa, and right behind it will be another cycle track, um, which will be the first one in the city of Los Angeles. So we're really really excited about that, particularly um, the access connecting down to South LA, and also USC, where there's um, USC is one of the 
highest rates of bicycle use in the city. It's really kind of a, a center, and it's all people that are just using bikes to get around. It's, it's kind of funny that it's entirely what we're, we're trying to shoot for elsewhere, but it's entirely accidental, which, you know, when you have a safe place for people to get around in a tight area, that they naturally default to the bicycle. Absolutely, and you, you're familiar with uh, USC because you were coaching the cycling team there? Yes, I did last, last season. That was a lot of fun. Well, uh, listen, Eric, we really appreciate your time on Bike Talk, and, and we will touch base with you next time around. Great. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Well, that was a great interview. Thanks, Mark. And um, with uh, Eric Bruins, of the LACBC's new policy director. About SC? I mean, I throw a wrench into this. What's, what's S? What do you mean? I, I can throw a wrench into SC. You know, I, I went and got my teeth fixed there, and you're going, where is this going, chicken leather? Uh, we don't want to hear about your teeth. It's a bike show. But, um, and this is about the time that Mark Cavendish was having problems with his teeth, so I guess I could tie it in that way. But I'm going to tie it in better. You know, uh, I remember reading one of their front pages, and they had this whole big thing about, let's, you know, we're going to discontinue Who, this. front pages? Uh, the front page of their, their co- collegiate uh, uh Thing, the Georgian, that's right. The, the no, this is uh, on the on the front of their uh, their, mag- their their college magazine. Go. There. And what happened was, uh, I'm reading this, and they're going, "We're not going to have any more 4:30 in the morning uh, trams to get you home." And I'm thinking, 4:30 in the morning, they still have trams getting you home. And I'm thinking, well, it's because people study till 4:30 in the morning. And, then, and my friend goes, "No, no." That's people are still getting drunk at 4 a.m. and that's when all the bars close, so they have to have that 4:30 a.m. like tram to get everybody home. And I'm thinking, dude, I I could solve this. Why don't they all just have like a big bike thing that takes them home in the middle of the night or something? They said, yeah. I don't know. This sounds pretty dangerous. I said, you've got the Mark bike paths on campus. All the all the little sororities and fraternities have like parking there but they have tons of bikes there and it's like they're bike conscious there and i said what what are the odds and they're saying i don't know they're pretty drunk they can't even walk and you want them to start riding bikes and i'm saying well maybe that would be the incentive don't get so drunk that you can't ride your bike home and that was the message from uh chicken leather on (laughs) okay we're moving on usa's possible bike solutions let's take a break and we'll come back with uh with alan and James and Ross talking about bike collisions in about two and a half minutes. <laughs> Except it's frozen. That's all right. It's a cute girl. No, it's really frozen. We'll just we'll go into the uh, conversation, guys. How you doing? Morning, morning. Good morning. So what we have, who we have here is, um, we have Ross, Ross Hirsch, who has represented a lot of people um, who've gotten in collisions on bikes, and we also have two guys who were hit in July. So I guess maybe we could start with talking to James and Alan, and you could tell us what happened. Hi, this is James. Um, I don't know too much about how all these collisions occur. Uh, Mine was on July 1st on 2nd Street in Santa Monica Boulevard. Um, I was on the uh, Sunday Funday beach ride. And uh, we were crossing 2nd Street uh, with the green light. And a Hummer came out of nowhere and broadsided me. Um, the driver actually admitted it was pretty much admitted it was his fault he said he wasn't paying attention and uh, we went from there police showed up uh, they were there on within seconds ambulance showed up fire department um, made police report and um, he's 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 a nice guy um, He's been taking care of me, making sure I get medical care and whatever I need. The, the driver? Yes. Yeah, you, I met, you said on Facebook he's uh, really been responsible. Yes, he is taking responsibility. And he's like a restaurant owner and he's got a Hummer. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> so, but, but he's he's. What does this mean? He's taking responsibility. He's paying your bills. Yes, he is. Okay. So you're not going to pursue damages or like I mean beyond. Well, I I do have an attorney. Um, he's we're going through it. The problem is um, we're using his insurance company, and you know insurance companies they don't want to pay for anything. So, yeah, James, this is Ross Hirsch. Let me just jump in and ask you just a couple questions. Um, your your bike crash represents a somewhat interesting scenario in that the driver, one, not only admitted that it was his fault, uh, but he's been responsible in following up with you after the fact, which is interesting, and that's great. Um, I would encourage all drivers to do that, and we probably wouldn't even be here if that were the case most of the time. Um, but what's interesting is that you're now dealing with him or his insurance company, or is this all being done through your lawyer? I would just be a little weary of dealing with just him um, for a host of reasons, as well as you on your own dealing with his insurance company, which you, which you can do, but there are a lot of traps that I'd be weary of um, in dealing with that. But I'm glad to hear that you've got a lawyer who's dealing with that. Um, and how's that process going? Um, pretty good. Um, I started out with one lawyer, and he's sending, he sent me out to a doctor out in Riverside, um, I told him I just can't do that. Um, so I checked with the, some other people, and actually uh, the driver is the one that gave me this, this attorney's number. And um, well, that's, attorney, that's interesting, isn't it? Go, go talk to my attorney. I, I don't know if I would have taken that advice. Well, um, I'm not saying you're hosed because you did that, but... Um, I, I don't know if I would recommend that in every case. Here, go talk to my lawyer. He'll take care of you. It's actually not his attorney. Oh, um, okay. But it was his referral is what it sounded like. Well, he had a, a few that he referred me to. and um, what, what a good guy. What a oh nice yeah, guy he, saying, here, go talk to my a lawyer. Here's a couple, a list of them, and go talk to these yeah, lawyers. Yeah, well, he's, he seems to be taking responsibility, and he's a nice guy. And, I mean, he doesn't want to get in any big trouble over this he actually admitted to the police that it was his fault uh he could have been ticketed or even taken to jail from my understanding well you know we had a little discussion before we went on air that you said at this intersection there happened to be a whole host of lapd officers that clearly uh, saw this collision santa monica uh, santa monica i'm sorry and i wonder if his attitude would have been the same but for those um police officers being there or not being there that's what I was thinking at the time. Well, well, let me ask Ross. What happens when uh, you know I'm a cyclist? I'm uh, I'm out there. Like you say, there's not a lot of cops around. I get uh, hit by a motorist. I don't know any attorneys. You know, where do I where do I turn next? I mean, I know if I'm really injured, there's a place for me to take me to the hospital. But uh, if I'm you know if I'm somewhat injured, or even if I am really injured and I follow up later, what's my next step? As just a cyclist without an attorney? Yeah, that, that's a good question, and it's one I get quite often. Um, and it depends. Of course, the typical lawyerly answer is it depends, right? Um, I think you should focus on yourself. If you need medical attention, focus on that. Get yourself to the emergency room. Don't deny um, an ambulance if they're sent there and you really need it. Um, those are all good things to make sure you're following up on. You don't need a lawyer immediately. That should not be your first goal. The statute of limitations here for civil um, actions is two years for the most part, unless there's a municipality involved and it's, it's shorter time frames. But it's not something you need immediately. So focus on getting yourself up and running. Um, I would always, I always tell people to get that police report, call the cops, call 911. Uh, that serves a whole host of purposes. Um, it, forces the driver to stay there because then if they run, then they might be looking at more serious penalties such as hit and run. Um, but you want that police report because what they're going to do is they're going to come, they're going to maybe investigate, which may or may not be in your favor. That's not why I'm saying that uh, a, a police report is always favorable. Why I'm saying it's favorable is because they're usually instrumental in getting the driver's information. Um, you, as a cyclist, could go up to a driver and say, you know what, you hit me. They could say, no, I didn't speed off. They could say it was your fault. I'm not giving you any information. I don't have to. I'm not obligated to, which is all contrary to the law. But if an officer is there saying, hey, there was a collision here, 
can I see your driver's license, ma'am or sir? Uh, their chances are they're going to give it to them. So then what you have is you have a police report, which has this documented information, driver's name, driver's address, maybe the registered owner, which is sometimes different from the driver, which can present a huge problem uh, when you're later seeking liability because the driver, if not the registered owner, has no connection to the car. Uh, may or may not have any insurance for you, but it's the registered owner who likely has insured the car. And it's that person's insurance who's likely going to be what an attorney is going to go after. So the police report is key. Um, it's going to take a little while to get, at least here in LAPD area. Um, they're looking at about a five to six month uh, backlog. That's just the procedural aspect of getting a police report. But that doesn't stop you from starting the process, and oftentimes you can call in and get some early information so you can get that insurance information. So to uh, summarize your, your question, what should you be doing? Focus on your medical, get a police report. Then I would start to ask around, um, how do you get a good lawyer? I, I would try to find someone who's familiar with the bike issues, uh, and there's a, a few of us here in L.A., um, all good guys. Um, I know Ted Rogers, who has a pretty popular blog, Biking in L.A. He has a list on the side of a couple good lawyers. Um, and then just ask around. I mean, there's unfortunately, there's a number of folks that have gotten hit, and they've had to hire attorneys to advocate on their behalf to get them their compensation that's mm -hmm. due to them. Um, and so some people know lawyers. So, you know, I could say you could search for me, my name, or you could search for, you know, Bike Attorneys Los Angeles, and you'll probably find someone. Okay. And it sounds like the James, um, at least to this point, James had a positive experience. He was in a, a fairly small city with a responsive police force. Cops were around to witness it. The driver was there, didn't flee, a cop to some responsibility, and was insured. And I can imagine there are many cases where... Uh, a lot of those things actually don't happen. You're in the city of L.A., n nobody sees it, the driver's not insured, the driver flees. You know, we yeah, hear about we, these we things all, all the time. We should all be as lucky as James was here. One, to not have suffered significant injuries, which he's sitting here, and he told me he does have some injuries. But, look, he's alive. I can see him. I can touch him, which is wonderful. Thank God for that, right, Jim? No ghost um, bike. No right? ghost bike needed. Oh. And um, the driver was there and responsive. So that's 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 pretty rare occurrence. So count your blessings, I guess, for that. Hmm. Oh, yeah. And uh, we also have here Alan Miranda uh, in the studio. And maybe, Alan, tell us about uh, your accident. You were doored. Is that right? Yes. All right. Um, t tell us how it happened. Well, I was riding to school on Santa Monica College over on Pico. And um, it just happened. Um, I was riding, and the door just so it was actually the passenger door of a Lincoln Navigator. It just opened like at the very moment as, as I'm riding through and I blink and I'm on the ground in pain. You were on a one-way street then? It was on Pico. Oh, on, P on Pico. H how did you uh, impact a passenger? How did, how did the door, passenger door swing open it just, in front of you? It just swung open. It swung open right at the very moment as I'm, I'm riding. I'm riding through. It just popped open. Boom. But you, you were between the curb and the, and the car? No, no, it was just... I think you, you mean the passenger door behind the driver yeah. or the passenger door on the, the opposite side? The passenger door behind the driver. Oh, right. I see. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, was, it was a parked car. Oh, okay. Right. All right. And so this is one of those things that, that every experienced cyclist knows to expect, but so often, you know, our, uh, we think about something else or we're worried about the car behind us or to the left. The door and, zone. And it, and it pops open. It you just know, did. I think about it every day, and there are times that I'm caught by surprise. So what is it like to be doored? I've never been doored myself. Very painful, very painful. Um, I, I, like I said, I blinked and I'm just on the ground in pain. I'm, I'm just lying there on, in the middle of the street, just having trouble breathing. You know, I'm, I'm scared. You know, I can't breathe. I, I'm in pain. Oh my God, this, and, is, and, this and, is serious. And for the record, you're sitting here in the studio with what appears to be some sort of sling on your arm. Is that a break or is that it's, a significant fracture of some sort? It's, it's a, I have a fracture in my humerus. I also oh, have separation bad. of the clavicle, which I might need um, surgical repair. And that was as a result of getting doored. Yes. Yeah. Dooring is, is serious stuff. It's, it's dangerous. You could Google these videos and see um, all sorts of people getting doored, and they're horrendous. Not only from the impact from the door, which car doors have lots of sharp points that can get you in all sorts of places and do a lot of damage but typically you're thrown in the middle of a traffic lane typically on your back 
uh, a lying duck, essentially, for oncoming traffic. So it can have horrendous, horrendous uh, consequences. So uh, one moral of this story is don't bike in, in the, the door, door zone, zone. Uh, exactly. get yourself out of there. I'm not. I'm not. I'm looking at you uh, <laughs> as a as a victim here, but I'm talking to our wider audience who is looking to avoid uh, injuries. Get out of that door zone. It's not where you should be. Even though sometimes our uh, governments like to paint bike zones, uh, bike lanes within the door zone. Bike on the left hand side of that, or if you just don't feel safe, bike in the take the lane. Get out of that door zone. It's the, it's it's just too right. dangerous to be in the door zone because you're not going to see it. What's, be safer than like in the middle of the lane or the door zone obviously the middle of the lane obviously in the middle of the lane i i you know un- cyclists that aren't comfortable cycling on on city roads um don't particularly like biking in the middle of the lane they feel uncomfortable and that perhaps is because we're taught that well that's for cars bikes shouldn't be there and maybe if they do move over they've had a negative experience with cars honking behind them and then they get that feeling of yeah. oh my god i shouldn't be here or i'm going too slow or the people behind me just don't like me well no yeah. you're on california vehicle code says you're allowed to take that lane under certain circumstances and right. there are most circumstances so you should take that lane never be in the door zone you're just never going to know when a door is going to pop out uh and 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 you're going to run into it. Yeah, just to be clear, the code says, you know, ride to the right when practicable. But a lot of our lanes are 11 feet wide, let's say on average. Um, that's not wide enough for any rider to share the lane with a, a car, with a truck or a bus. Right. And often not with a large car like uh, the Hummer that, that hit James. Um, so when, you've, when you're in just an average width lane next to, uh, well, I should say, when you're uh, avoiding the door zone, and if that puts you into the travel lane... That is your lane to take if it's not wide enough to share. Right? So I think a lot of people don't understand that because you will have motorists say, you know, get out of the road, or you'll, you might even have a, a responding police officer say, oh, you know, you should have been riding uh, next to the curb or something like that. That's not what the state law says. Uh, that, that's right. 20, CVC 21202 is the law that Mark just cited, and it, it states that cyclists are required to ride to the right as far as practicable. Uh, now we can argue about distinctions between practicable and possible. All that doesn't matter for this discussion because that doesn't apply if you are avoiding road hazards, for example. That's one of the enumerated exceptions to riding to the right. Um, if there's debris on the right, you don't need to ride in that gutter. If there's a car door there that could potentially uh, significantly injure you or kill you, you don't need to ride there. So you are perfectly entitled to move over out of being in the place where it is as far to the right as practicable, ride in the middle of the lane. And I, I advocate riding, taking the lane is, is one of the safer places you can be. You're visible. Cars are looking for you right there. Cars always don't, you know, sometimes the way cars are made, they have, uh, you know, windows, they have distractions. So they're not always looking over to the right-hand side of the road for cyclists, for pedestrians, for anything. They're looking right in front of them. That's where folks look when they drive. And if there's a bike there, well, I'd rather have them see you then not see you. And so that it's the most visible yeah, place you can be. I think it's important to say that if you marginalize yourself on the road, you will be marginalized by the drivers. So, so always take the room that you need. But let me just toss it back to Alan for a second, because, you know, in James, with James's collision, uh, it all uh, uh, right at the scene worked out okay. What happened to you after you were doored? A lot of people don't even think that dooring, uh, you know, is a, is a problem liability-wise. They just figure, oh, you know, it's just an act of nature. What happened to you? Well, I was, I was lying on the ground, and, you know, there were plenty of witnesses. You know, it was, um, there was a security guard. It was actually in front of a preschool, I believe, and the security guard there, you know, he called the police, you know, and there was a motorbike cop that, you know, was first on the scene, and within minutes, you know, he, you know, he um, directed traffic, you know, and made sure I was all right, um, waited for, for the ambulance, it was, which was pretty quick, you know, took me to Westwood um, UCLA Hospital. And, th- yeah. And what about the driver, and um, was the driver sighted? Well, yeah, um, well, uh, the... Or the passenger. The, the or officer, you know, he, he took all the information. I, I have a police report, you know, with, with everything. And when... You know, I've been involved in, in a car and bike collisions as a cyclist, and I've gotten back the police report, and it doesn't reflect my experience. It may not reflect actual statements that I've made. This just happened uh, with a collision uh, 
uh, this past May. I look at the police report. It's not what I what I told the cop. I mean, factually, mostly it's accurate, but um, clearly what I presented to the officer was not what was reflected in the report. And, and uh, you know, uh, that can, can become a problem later on liability-wise. So I'm wondering if you looked, when you looked through your report, did that reflect what happened? And, and then what was the next step after that? Well, uh, I mean, this, this accident was, I haven't had a chance to really go through the police report or anything. This, oh, this it's happened so on, recent. On Tuesday. Oh, yes, I mean, yes, this yes. is like my first time out and about since the accident. Oh, I see. You know, okay. I, what I've heard so far from the, the reporting that um, you just gave about this, 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 this Doring incident is so far a fairly positive um, response, both from the driver and from, was it LAPD you said? Uh, which is great. You got the police report. The driver stayed. The driver gave you information. That's really great. I mean, both of these cases that we've been talking about so far today were really, uh, I would say, model cases in the way it should work out there on the roadways, which is not always the case. So it's kind of nice and refreshing to hear two positive, although a bike crash is never something I want to uh, discuss is in, in the positive realm, but these went relatively okay in that you got the information, police responded, you're getting medical attention, which is great. A lot of times folks, they get in collisions, the cars either drive away, maybe they don't have insurance, maybe the car doesn't have insurance, maybe the cops don't respond, and then to allude to what you were talking to earlier, Mark, which is um, bad reporting in the report, which sometimes could be problematic. Um, and to follow up on your question that we talked about a little earlier is, is what, what do you do in that case when the reporting isn't all that accurate? And that's a, gosh, that's a, that's a hard question because um, cops, you know, they don't always, they're really not trained investigators. They're there to write down what they saw and what they heard and do a little initial investigation. But they're not. I, a lot of times their investigations are, are less than thorough and less than accurate, and depending on who you talk to, there might even be a bias against bikes by certain uh, police uh, departments, if not individual officers. Uh, one of my good friends, Stephen Box, I remember uh, at, at a meeting at the LAPD Bike Task Force, talked about this bias that he observed, and it's funny, when there's a bike under a car as a result of a collision... He reported that, well, the officer would walk up, see this, and he'd say, well, what's that bike doing attacking the car from underneath? That's just sort of a mentality that a lot of folks have, and unfortunately our officers uh, duplicate that, is that bikes don't belong there. And if a bike and a car are in a crash, well, the bike must have been at fault. The bike did something wrong because who knows what host of reasons. Uh, and that's a problem. Hmm. And LAPD, I think, has taken a lot of steps to give them credit ever since uh, Chief Beck came in. Um, and established the bike task force and uh, appointing certain officers as liaisons to the bike community, which is going through some changes right now. But they have made strides in officer education, which is good. So hopefully their reporting will get better. But it will take time for this information that the bike community is now working with LAPD to get to filter down to the rank and file. Right. I, I guess as you're suggesting, Ross, it's a, a cultural challenge for us to address and overcome. And then there's also this kind of operational challenge you know, I've spoken with um, with PD Brass, and they say, "Oh, you know, we know it's a problem uh, with with our officers in the field. They they have uh, different uh, you know capabilities in the field. That's why police reports are so highly structured to get all the necessary information. But when it comes to the narrative portion, that's where you can really get a lot of variability. Uh, in my case, um, for my May collision, I was broadsided by a, by an SUV." Uh, and I said, oh, you know, the, the, I told the officer the, the motorist was, you know, just ha hammering the gas and uh, obviously just, you know, plowed right into me. And that tone and tenor wasn't reflected in the narrative. I went back to the police department. I said this, you know, I, this is what I told the officer at the scene. Uh, at the scene, there was also a, a change between the officers that initially responded and those that actually finished the report. So that was another kind of challenge. And what he did was said, he said to me, well, okay, submit an, a statement. We will append that to the report. And this is, you know, we will now have a report that reflects what you feel is more accurate. Now, I'm not sure what kind of weight that, that, that holds with the uh, insurance company. You know, here I, I've come after the fact. I've appended my own statement. It's uh, something in addition to what the officer said. 
Any idea, Ross, on what that means? Or for, for Alan, for example, he looks when he looks through his police report and uh, it may not reflect what he needs to be in, needs to see in there, what he should do and what happens then? I, I hear quite often the police report isn't accurate or isn't thorough enough. Um, and it would be great if the officer would amend the report or change the report or issue some sort of supplemental report. I can't say I've ever seen it happen. I'm trying. I'm scratching my head thinking, have I ever seen it happen? I'm sure it has happened uh, in the past, but it, it's typically not the case. Um, appending something to your statement, it, it can't hurt. I would do it with the advice of an attorney. You don't want to be saying something that's going to come bite you in the butt later on. So I would make sure you're doing it um, just so that it doesn't hurt you later on. Uh, and the best way to do that would be talking to a lawyer and figuring out what you should be saying, what you should not be saying it might not matter uh and sometimes the less you say the better off it is so something to think about there you've got to balance those two competing interests um so i I wouldn't worry about changing the police report if it's if it's inaccurate you can try it might be too many wheels uh spent chasing down uh something that just doesn't really matter in the long run where what the police report's may or may not be evidence come uh, a trial if you go there. Um, chances are it won't be because you'll have the officer to testify or if that's, that's the best case. Um, but you know who's going to use the police report is the insurance company. The, other, the driver's insurance company is going to look at that police report and they're going to be looking at that police report for a reason to deny you uh, coverage or deny you benefits rather. So um, right now we got Ted Rogers on the line. Ted, I, I called you sooner than I, than I told you to call in, but... So Ted Isn't that always is the case with a blogger, and he has a, a blog that everybody reads in the bike world, and it's called Bike in L.A.? Yes, Biking in L.A. Oh, I guess except me. I... A lot of people drop that in. And uh, we were uh, turned on to the fact that you have covered all of the, um, the fatalities in July that happened with cyclists in L.A. County. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, God, it was a horrible month. Um, it wasn't just L.A. County. It was all through Southern California. Uh, there were 13 fatalities in uh, the seven-county region in Southern California. Um, God, I'm not sure how many actually occurred in Los Angeles. I think it was like three off the top of my head. I'd have to look that up. But, um, yeah, I have never... God, I've never seen anything like that. The worst month that I can recall uh, before was eight. Uh, Thirteen is just a god-awful number. Uh, I can't even imagine that happening, and yet it did. It seemed like every time I checked the news, there was another death. What do you think it is? What? You know, it's every cause. Um, I really don't know what happened because... Uh, some of these deaths were from solo collisions. Uh, some were hit and runs. Uh, I know as one um, gentleman in uh, riding up in the hills above Malibu died because uh, he took a turn too wide and hit some rumble strips that had been installed in the middle of the roadway and lost control. Um, they put rumble strips in there to slow down motorcyclists or use it as a speedway. And... The worst part is that uh, in looking at uh, an article on uh, County Supervisor uh, Zev Yaroslavsky's website, uh, they had written about these strips being installed and said, we know this could present an added danger to uh, bicyclists, and yet they did it anyway. And now a man is dead because of that. Um, you know, like I said, there was hit and runs. Uh, Aaron Galligan run down in Santa Monica. Uh, as she was riding on PCH um, during the uh, in the construction zone there, um, probably because uh, she didn't feel safe riding the bike path after dark, uh, which is what they had recommended as a bypass for the construction zone. So there's just all kinds of causes. I wish I could put my finger on it and say this is what the problem is and we can do something about it, but I can't. Guys, you got to thought for ted or a question we're actually coming close to the end of the hour um, yeah you know ted this is ross how you doing there hey ross how you doing i'm doing good i wonder you know it's summer 
there are a lot of bikes on the road being July here, a nice weather here in California. Um, might this just be, uh, uh, hopefully this trend will will subside very shortly. But I wonder if it's this is just chalk it up to that many more bikes being on the road. And if that's the case, that certainly doesn't bode well for our future where we're trying to get more bikes on the road, which only means more uh, car bike collisions if this trend proves to be, which let's hope that's not the case. But um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I've seen a lot of speculation online that uh, uh, this is a result of the bike boom. And let me add, it's not just Southern California where this is happening. Uh, Sonoma County, a tiny little Sonoma County, uh, bucolic little country place, has had uh, five cycling fatalities in the last 10 weeks. Uh, I'm seeing the same trends uh, as I look at uh, reports across the country. I'm seeing it uh, everywhere in the U.S. that cycling uh, collisions, uh, serious injuries and fatalities are up this year. And uh, a lot of the speculation is simply that there are more cyclists on the road, and a lot of people have concluded that your risk of injury for any one individual has not gone up, but there are simply more riders on the road, so there are more uh, incidents like this. Uh, but nobody has the numbers to solidly back that up. That's all speculation at this point. All right. Well, we have this new format for, that was given to us by Steve Herbert. You know, Steve, uh, he's a bike advocate, but also a, he's an engineer at KCRW. So we're trying to end it in an hour and wrap up with the, the calendar of events. Do you have any events you want to tell us about coming up? Um, yeah. Matter of fact, I just wrote about that last night. Um, there are some really good things going on this weekend. There is a Sunday Funday ride in... Uh, uh, the Lakewood and Long Beach area on Sunday, uh, led by isn't LHBC, that the one you got hit uh, on? Board member Steve Boyd, who is a hell of a nice guy. Mm -hmm. um, if you are in that area, I would strongly recommend that. There is the uh, Brentwood Grand Prix is this weekend, uh, a full day of bike racing. Um, you know, all categories, even little kids will be racing this weekend. Uh, always a lot of fun to check out. Uh, I will probably be there if you see somebody walking a corgi. That'll be me. Um, if we, there are, um, let me, just a second here. I'm trying to pull something up here. Guys, events. Um, Does that mean he's going to? Oh, Flying Pigeon, of course. He, he, Flying Pigeon yeah. has their uh, monthly brewery ride oh, yeah. this weekend. I mean, <laughs> bikes and beer go together perfectly. So uh, that would be a great thing to check out. Uh, Ted, uh, Ted, as your attorney, I advise against that. <laughs> You've been advised against that. Been advised against bikes and beer? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, my personal thinking is that uh, it's better to not have anybody drunk on the road, but if somebody is drunk on the road, I would much rather see them on a bicycle than a car. There you go. I, I, I concur. Can we, uh, wrapping it up, can we have your website uh, again? Yeah, Ted? it's simply bikinginla.com. Great. Thanks for calling in, we'll, and we'll check you out online. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, so do, do we got like the last thirty seconds here? Yeah, uh, I like this. So uh, l let's getting getting back to uh, uh, James and I. I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Alan. Alan, uh, did you learn anything? This is what I always like to ask people. You're alive. Uh, you were wearing helmets, I hope, or if you weren't wearing helmets, uh, you know, t tell us. Have, did you learn anything so you can avoid the next? And I, I don't want to. You know, be some precursor like some bad Hitchcock film where it keeps on flashbacking. But do, do you know anything now that will help you in the next uh, to avoid the next collision yes. or something? Take okay. up the whole lane. Take up the whole lane. That's a good one. And and you're still wearing safety gear, I hope. Uh, yeah. Okay. Of course. What, what about you, James? Let me give you the microphone. Well, actually, Saturday was the first day I got a helmet, and I actually wore it on Sunday and was hit. <laughs> um, nice. That's the 1,000 bikes helmets from Mike Bowers. Um, really like that. <laughs> um, it was like a burn helmet. So, yes. but you also said that you thought it might because be because you were on a recumbent, right? And you were low, and the Hummer was high. And yeah, I have a problem with Hummers. I've uh, actually come across a few that almost hit me over the past week. Um, not riding, just you know, parking lot type of stuff. 
uh, going to my doctor's appointments and whatever. Um, my goddaughter, she says, what, are they following you around or something? Um, well, I don't know what the deal is. I guess it's the, the design of the Hummer. They're just too tall. And if I show you a picture of the actual driver, he's kind of short. So I don't think that he, I, I can't say for sure. All right, let, let's continue this conversation in the second hour uh, for our live audience and close it for the podcast for KPFK because we're trying to stick with the new. Uh, oh, absolutely. So thanks, everybody. We have, we have James Hawks. We got Alan Miranda. We got Ross Hirsch. Thanks, Mark Elliott, for getting an interview with Eric Bruins of the LACBC and Jim Brown of the California Bike Coalition Chicken Leather. And in the studio is John Reed Torres. We'll talk to him live, but for KPFK, we're signing off. Bike Talk, thank you. And I was going to do a little theme music. Theme music. So, sound aside... I know we're not supposed to talk about the Hummer as, as we get to the next topic. Um, the Hummer, if you know anything about how the engine is placed in there, as he bows down.